0: Now we have what has been called a psalm of nature, or as the New Schofield Reference Bible has it, praise to the God of creation. And actually, you can see all the days of creation here. For instance, you begin, "...bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord my God, thou art very great, thou art clothed with honor and majesty." Now, we're talking now about the God of creation, who coverest thyself with light as with a garment, who stretcheth out the heavens like a curtain. Now, on the first day, you remember, he said, let there be light. And there was light. That was the first day. And here you have, thou coverest thyself with light as a garment. Now, we're told here that On the second day of creation, God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. Let it divide the waters from the waters. That is, he put waters up above us and waters below. And you have this here today, who stretcheth out the heavens like a curtain, or just like you stretch a tent in that day. Why, they would arrive at a certain place, a camel caravan, and then they would put out their tent. Stretch it out. Well, that's the way God has stretched out the heavens. And when he did, why, there's a layer of water above us. And every now and then it comes down pretty fast. Verse 3, "...who layeth the beams of his chambers in the waters, and maketh the clouds his chariot, who walketh upon the wings of the wind." And here is a very wonderful picture of the second day. Now, we have also the... Third day here. And I think I'll just move right along into this wonderful psalm of creation. And as we do, we come here to this third day. Now, notice he says in verse 5, "...who laid the foundations of the earth, that it should not be moved forever. Thou covers it with deep as with a garment. The water stood above the mountains." This is a reference, many believe, to the flood also. But you'll remember that here on the third day he divided the waters that were under the heavens. See, he put water above the clouds that go over, carry quite a bit of water. And then beneath, why, he now divides the land and the waters. This is a praise to God for his creation, you see, here, the land and the sea. Now, what did he do on the fourth day? Now, he didn't create the sun And the moon, he just said, let there be lights and firmament. And now they are to regulate time here on this earth. And you have in verse 19 of the psalm, he appointed the moon for seasons. The sun knoweth it's going down. Now, even all peoples have learned that. Over here in Arizona, they have the ruins of an Indian building. And in it, there are two holes made in the wall. And they couldn't figure out what that was. Then they found out that at the time to plant corn, you can look through both of those and see the moon. When you could see the moon through both of them, time to plant corn. You see, God gave the moon actually for seasons. He says that here. And the sun knoweth it's going down. All of this moves according to schedule. Don't tell me we're in a universe that is meaningless today. Now, what did God do on the fifth day? Well, that was the day animal life appeared and everything that's in the ocean. It's alive, you see, with life. Verse 25, now, so is this great and wide sea, wherein are things creeping innumerable, both small and great beasts. There go the ships and so on. Now, this is a wonderful picture Well, what about man? Let me read now, beginning with verse 30. Thou sendest forth thy spirit. They are created. Thou renewest the face of the earth. Man now is going to be put on the earth. It's ready for him. His home is ready for him. The glory of the Lord shall endure forever. The Lord shall rejoice in his works. God looked upon it was good. He looked on the earth, and it trembleth. He toucheth the hills And they smoke. I will sing unto the Lord as long as I live. I'll sing praise to my God while I have my being. Man's on the earth, created to praise God. He's been put on the earth and he's given an address. He lives at number one, Garden of Eden. That's where he lives. And now will you notice verse 34? My meditation of him shall be sweet. "...I will be glad in the Lord." But what happened? "...Let the sinners be consumed out of the earth, let the wicked be no more. Bless thou the Lord, O my soul, praise ye the Lord." Man's sin. What's God going to do? He's going to get them off the earth, friends. Unless you're willing to turn to Christ, I can assure you one thing, this earth won't be your permanent dwelling place. God will remove you to another place and it has another address by the way Now in Psalm 105 and 106 you have two historic psalms I'm confident that David wrote Psalm 105 because the first part of this psalm is the same as 1st Chronicles 16:8 through 22 and that's when David brought up the ark into Jerusalem and here you have a recitation of their history. And it begins, O oh, give thanks unto the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, sing unto him, sing psalms unto him, talk ye of all his wondrous works, and remember his marvelous works, his wonders, and the judgments of his mouth. And he goes back and begins with the seed of Abraham. And the covenant God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then he follows them through Joseph, down into the land of Egypt. And verse 23, Israel also came into Egypt, and Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham. Verse 26, he sent Moses, his servant, and Aaron whom he had chosen. And then here's something quite interesting. Verse 38, Egypt was glad when they departed. They sure were They was glad to get them out of their hair, by the way, after the plagues. And God brought them into the land, recites their history, and that's something to praise about. My friend, there's something wrong with you. If you can't look back in your life and have something, thank God for. And the 106th Psalm is a long one, but another historic Psalm that ends this number section, follows them through the wilderness. "...Praise ye the Lord." Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, his mercy endureth forever. And then there's that confession of sin, verse 6. We have sinned with our fathers. We've committed iniquity. We've done wickedly. And friends, when you look back over your life, you not only have something to thank God for, but you can thank him for your salvation He has forgiven you your sin if you have turned to Jesus Christ as your Savior. Say, these psalms are marvelous, are they not? We ought to get saturated with them. Now, friends, we come to one of the great psalms of the Scripture. It's the 107th Psalm. It has been greatly misunderstood. I feel like even a wonderful commentator like Matthew Henry, who has so many wonderful things to say about the psalm, missed it because of the fact that he did not see the prophetic at all. And I trust by now that many of you are seeing that there is a deep meaning in these psalms, and that when you put them back in their proper context, there flashes out for us today a new meaning that will be helpful to us and i'm going to emphasize that because today it has a special meaning because it opens like this o oh, give thanks unto the lord for he's good for his mercy endureth forever let the redeemed of the lord say so whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy now friends we need more say so christians let the redeemed of the lord say so Don't go around and complain and criticize if you're a Christian. Tell how good God is because he is good. Now, he doesn't have a good name in this world. You know, God's reputation is bad. Now, reputation remembers what people think about you. God does not have a friend at court among the multitudes of this world, no defender, no champion, no ally to testify on his behalf. There's no one to take the witness stand and say a good word for God today. Now, if you doubt that, look about you. The pagan and heathen religions, their conception of God is terrifying. And he's a God that would destroy and not save, and difficult to get to, by the way, and not interested in us at all, nor does he love us. The average person in this land with a veneer of civilization a modicum of education with a little Christian culture smeared on like cold cream. And to them, God is not a person to cultivate. We keep him at arm's length. He's not really a good neighbor. He's very difficult to please. He's like the average conception of a policeman that he's waiting around the corner to find fault with us. He's not a friend at all. A little girl, I think, gave the average conception of God when she gave a verse of Scripture and got it a little confused. And this is the way she gave it. If God be for you, you're up against it. Well, that's the way a great many people think of him. Now, if anyone is going to say that God is good, the redeemed are going to have to say so. God is good. And that's not an axiom. It's a Proposition that is subject to proof. It's not a cliché. It's not a slogan. It's not propaganda. It is true. It's a great truth. Now, this is a psalm, 107, that I've set it to music, and I'm no musician at all. I think you have four stanzas here, and if you'll notice that mechanically, the psalm divides itself like that at verse 8. You have the chorus, Oh, that man would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of man. Then you move down to verse 21, and that's repeated. You go down to verse 31, it's repeated again, so that we have three times in this psalm this chorus, and it divides the psalm. In the first seven verses, you have the providence of God. Here's where he directs pilgrims. And I would make this a tenor solo. Then in verses 8 through 20, you have the pardon of God. And here he delivers prisoners. And I would say this is a soprano solo. Then in verses 21 to 30, you have the protection of God. And here's where he dissolves problems. This is a bass solo. And then in verses 31 to 43, the rest of the psalm, you have the power of God. And here's where he delights his people. And then I think we ought to all come back and sing the chorus again. O oh, give thanks unto the Lord for his good, his mercy endureth forever. And let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Now, he goes on here, and he says, "...and he's gathered them out of the lands from the east, from the west, from the north, from the south." Who's he talking about? He's talking about Israel. "...they wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses." and he led them forth by the right way that they might go to the city of habitation. This is a new section that we've come to in the book of Psalms. It's the last of the Pentitude that corresponds to the Pentitude of Moses. This is the Deuteronomy section, and the emphasis here will be upon the Word of God. Now, back in Deuteronomy, God had already said that these people were be scattered because of their sin. Deuteronomy 28:64 and 65, "...and the Lord God shall scatter thee among all people, from the end of the earth even unto the other. And there thou shalt serve other gods, which neither thou nor thy fathers have known, even wood and stone. And among these nations shalt thou find no ease, neither shalt have the sole of thy foot find rest." but the Lord shall give thee there a trembling heart, failing eyes, and sorrow of mind. Now, that's been the picture of these people down through the ages when they disobeyed God out of the land. But God, by His providence, is going to gather them back into that land. He intends to make good His promise to them. This is a wonderful picture and a glorious picture of the providence of God in the lives of these people. But... It speaks of me. He reached out there in the wilderness of this world, saved me, and I'm sure that's what he did for you. This is a glorious, wonderful picture, friends, of the providence of God in the lives of these people. God is not through with the nation Israel. And thank God he's not through with you. And he's not through with me today. This has a message for us. Now we come to the second section here of this very wonderful 107th Psalm. And we have here pardon, the pardon of God. Here's where he delivers prisoners. And as we've said, we'd make this a soprano solo. Now will you notice several verses in this section? It begins on that high note of praise. In other words, they have the chorus here at the beginning rather than at the end of the section. Oh, that man would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of man. Now, we move down in the psalm, and you'll notice that he delivers prisoners. And we have here a picture of a man in prison. And it's a picture of these people in the time of trouble that is coming. And a man in prison in that day. God will deliver him and bring him back into that land. Friends, think of the multitudes that were in prisons, yonder in Germany, and they never got out. I wonder how many of them at that time thought of this psalm and turned to this psalm here. Now, verse 10 says, "...such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron." And then verse 14, He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and broke their bands in sunder. And then verse 16, For he hath broken the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron in sunder. You remember how he brought Simon Peter out of prison, how he delivered Paul and Silas at night, and how today he's delivered you and me. You and I were in the prison house of sin, and God has given us a pardon. We have a pardon, and we're delivered from that. But a pardon is for everybody today. There's a pardon for you. I do not know who you are, but there's a pardon. Well, somebody then says, why am I not forgiven? Well, even in prison today, a pardon must be accepted. I heard of a case back in Pennsylvania. I heard Dr. Harry Rimmer tell about it. This man was granted a pardon by the governor, and he wouldn't accept it. And the prison authorities, including the warden, they were all in a dilemma. What do you do with a man that's got a pardon and he won't accept it? And the answer was, finally, they appealed to the judge on it. He said he'll have to stay in prison. You have to accept a pardon for it to be valid. Now, the Lord has a pardon for you. In the Lord Jesus, we have forgiveness of sins, Pardon for our iniquity, but you have to accept it. And by the way, have you accepted your pardon today, delivered from sin and from the penalty of sin? This is a marvelous picture that you have here, but think what it's going to mean to those people in the day that's yet future when many of them are in prison, and God will deliver them out of prison and bring them into that land." Now there's so much that's wonderful in this section, but we can't take too much time to look at it. Now we come to this next here, which is protection. Here's where God dissolves the problems. And I've made this a base solo. And again it opens with that same chorus Oh that man would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of man. And then it begins here, "...let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving, and declare his works with rejoicing." And today, that's the kind of an offering God wants you and me to bring to him, is that same kind of offering. And that is that we come to him bringing the sacrifice of praise to him. That is what he wants from us, and we are to offer that kind of a sacrifice to him today, come bringing to him sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving unto him. And as a result, we have an altar whereof they that have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin to burn without the camp. Wherefore, "...Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate, let us go forth therefore unto him, without the camp bearing his reproach, for here we have no continuing city, we seek one to come, but by him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. And you don't have to wait till you get to church to give to him a sacrifice. And that is the fruit of your lips. Praise unto God. And what for? For his protection. Has he brought you up to this present hour? Now, will you notice this section here, verse 23? They that go down to the sea in ships that do business... In great waters, these see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. This matter of being a sailor in the days of the sailing vessel, it was dangerous business. A man that went on a voyage didn't know whether he was coming back or not. Couldn't be sure of that. And therefore, in that day, they could commit themselves more to God, I think, than people do today. They don't think anything at all about getting board a great ship Are a plane even today. They give no thought to it at all because of the fact that most adopt a philosophy of fatalism that if it's going to happen, you can't do anything about it. Well, it's wonderful to be able to commit ourselves to God at a time like that. Then in verse 31, we come now to the last stanza here, and here we see the power of God where he delights his people. And here is the way that it begins. Oh, that man would praise the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of man. Now, this is a chorus. All of us can join in this year because we need power in our lives for living today. I think that's probably something that most of us need. It is said of Thomas Aquinas, One day he walked into where the Pope was counting the money of the church. Pope looked up and saw Thomas Aquinas and said to him, Sir Thomas said, no longer can the church say to the impotent man, silver and gold have I none. And Thomas Aquinas wheeled and started out and with not even turning back, he said, that is right, sir. And no longer can the church say to the impotent man, rise and walk. Today, we are problem-conscious, and we are not power-conscious, as someone has said. Now, the early church was conscious of the power of God. I think of the church today, in fact, all Christian works, probably including this broadcast. By the way, many years ago, the Standard Oil Company had a float in the Rose Parade here in Pasadena, and... It was one of the first parades I think I saw. And that Standard Oil float was a beautiful float. I never shall forget it. Beautiful American beauty roses, the like of which I had never seen before. And right in the middle of the parade, why, that Standard Oil Company float ran out of gas and had to be towed. May I say to you, everybody laughed when they heard about it. And of course they did. You know, the last float in that parade that should have run out of gas was a standard oil company float. They should have had gas and had enough of it to make the parade. But somebody had forgotten to fill up the tank, and there they were. And I looked at that poor helpless float there as it stopped right almost in front of us, and everybody was laughing. I felt sorry. Because I said, that's the picture of the church. We're beautiful. We've all decorated out with our buildings today and our programs and our service and our propaganda. But there's no power, no power at all. That's what we need today. And I think one of the reasons is we're not praising him as we should. Verse 32, let them exalt him also in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. We need today to praise God. And praise goes before power, my beloved. It is what puts the gas in the tank. It is that which gets the rocket ready to take off out yonder. And this is the picture that's given to us here. And I conclude this section with verse 43. Whoso is wise... "...and will observe these things, even they shall understand the loving kindness of the Lord." Now, loving kindness, you remember, the little girl defined what loving kindness was and the difference between just kindness and loving kindness. She said, if you go in and ask your mama for a piece of bread and butter, and she gives it to you, that's kindness. But if she puts jam on it without you asking her, that's loving kindness." My friend, the loving kindness of God is wonderful toward us today. And what a picture, what a glorious picture this is for us. Now, the next two Psalms that we have here, Psalm 108 and Psalm 109. Psalm 108, if you'll note, is a Psalm of David. It's a very wonderful psalm. I don't want to spend too much time with it. It has caused, of course, much criticism. Some think that it's a patchwork. It's not that at all. But it's a great psalm. And let me emphasize here, Oh God, my heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise even with my glory. This is Israel's remnant, redeemed, brought home, praising and exalting the Lord. We saw in the last psalm, God was going to bring them back into the land and He brought them from everywhere. Now they're back in the land and they're praising God and glorifying Him. And verse 7, "...God hath spoken in His holiness, and I will rejoice." Then He talks about dividing the land there and how the land will be divided in that day. It's a glorious, wonderful psalm. We'll not spend any more time with it, however. Now, in Psalm 109, you have the humiliation, actually, of Christ. It's a messianic psalm. And the next psalm, Psalm 110, is a messianic psalm. Now, these two psalms that we have here, messianic psalms, one, the humiliation of Christ, and the other, the exaltation of Christ. Now, this great psalm of the humiliation of our Lord is a very important psalm. It's actually an imprecatory psalm, and it is actually a Judas Iscariot psalm. It's been called that, because this is the psalm that was quoted by Simon Peter before Pentecost, ten days before, when they... "...elected a man to take Judas' place." Now, I'd like to read this section. It's too important to pass over. Verse 6, "...set thou a wicked man over him, and let Satan stand at his right hand. When he shall be judged, let him be condemned, and let his prayer become sin. Let his days be few, and let another take his office." Let his children be fatherless, his wife a widow. Let his children be continually wanderers and beg. Let them seek their bread also out of their desolate places. Now, friends, you can't find anything that is more dreadful than this imprecatory psalm. I think it's the most dreadful of all of them, and it is applied to Judas Iscariot. There's so little attention today given to the condition of the lost. Now, as far as I know, no one is defending Judas Iscariot. I've had a notion today that there's certain organization and certain judges that would let Judas Iscariot off. The fact of the matter is they'd declare him innocent and declare Jesus guilty. But the Word of God is very clear that he's a lost man. And this psalm here makes it rather frightening. And it makes the condition of the lost frightening. It's an awful thing to be a lost man. Instead said of this man that it'd been better if he hadn't been born. And the Lord Jesus, even he made it very clear that the condition of the lost is a terrible thing. Yonder in John 3:36, where he gave that wonderful invitation... There's also the other side of it. There's light and darkness. He said, "He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth in him." Now I do not know how you could make that any stronger. This teaching today that somehow another, that the folk that are lost are going to have a second chance are a larger hope, or we ought not to be squares and narrow-minded about matters like this, that God may have a way. All I know is that the Word of God says, And the Lord Jesus said, For the wrath of God abideth in him. And that wrath of God is a terrible thing. It is judgment. And he bore that wrath for us on the cross. Now, I do want to come to the 110th Psalm, and here you have the not the humiliation of the Lord Jesus as you have in Psalm 109, but you have the exaltation. And here is a psalm that begins with the ascension of Christ. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Now, this psalm, is a remarkable psalm because of the prominence that's given to it in the New Testament. I think it makes very clear the deity of Christ. You couldn't in any way whatsoever, shape or fashion, deny the deity of Christ and yet consider this psalm here. I wonder if I might, and I could spend the entire period today Turning to scriptures that refer to him, and I want to turn to Matthew, the 22nd chapter, verse 41. And will you listen to this? This makes very clear the deity of Christ. "...while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, "'What think ye of Christ, whose son is he?' They say unto him, "'The Son of David.'" "...he saith unto them, How then doth David in spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, till I make thine enemies thy footstool." Now, this is a very remarkable psalm and a very remarkable passage of Scripture. "...the Lord said unto my Lord, equal speaking to equal, God speaking to God." if you please. Now, that is quoted again in Mark, in Luke, and again in the book of Acts. We find it in the first chapter of Hebrews at verse 13. This is something you just can't pass over. When anyone says that the Bible does not teach the deity of Jesus Christ, they're not acquainted with this section of the Word of God, I can assure you. Let me just turn here to... Hebrews 1.13, "...but to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool?" In other words, this is the section that sets forth the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you couldn't have it, my friend, given to us in any stronger fashion than we have it given to us here Now, we could spend a long time in this psalm. I'm going to read all of it. Will you listen? The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Now, this speaks of the coming of Christ to the earth to rule in Zion. Because you remember Isaiah said it, it's out of Jerusalem. The law will go. It's from that place. That will be the center of government of this earth. And God does have a purpose with these people in the future. Now will you listen, verse 3, "...thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power." That's going to be the time when the greatest turning to the Lord Jesus the world has ever seen. Spurgeon always liked to say, God will have more people saved than they'll be lost. And don't push your nose up against the wind of the present. He's not doing so well today. But you see, he's not through. He has quite a bit back of him. He has a great deal ahead of it. And he has great plans for the future. Now, will you notice here, verse 4, "...the Lord hath sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek." And again, here is something that is very very important, and that is the fact that the Lord Jesus is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, here again is something that we'll wait till we get to the epistle to the Hebrews to develop, because this is one of the greatest truths in the Word of God. I'll just lift out one verse from Hebrews. Hebrews 5, verse 6, "...as he saith also in another place..." "...thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, and who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience... By the things which he suffered. There's both the deity and the humanity of the Lord Jesus. Let me keep on reading. The Lord at thy right hand shall strike through kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the nations. He shall fill the places with the dead bodies. He shall wound the heads over many countries. You see, he's coming in judgment, as the second psalm makes it very clear. "...he shall break them with a rod of iron." And now the last verse of Psalm 110, verse 7, "...he shall drink of the brook in the way, therefore shall he lift up the head." In other words, he's on the way to judgment. Now we come in Psalm 111 to a hallelujah psalm. And we have quite a few of these hallelujah psalms that are here. Psalm 111, Psalm 112 are hallelujah psalms, and they are acrostic. That is, they are perfectly alphabetical. and They are like the little book we were given. A is for apple, B is for baby, C is for cat. And that is, you have in these psalms, you'll notice as we go through them, the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet given to us in a very perfect way, although our verses are not ranged like that. Now, we have here then three Hallelujah Psalms, and then we come to that section which is known as the Hallel Psalms. We're coming to this very important section. Now, this is a Hallelujah Psalm, 111. Praise ye the Lord. That's what hallelujah means. Praise ye the Lord. Now, this is praise to God because of his works and also because of his redemption. That's the new song that will be sung in heaven. The old song is the psalm of creation. The new is the psalm of redemption. And they're both here. Now, will you notice? Praise ye the Lord. "...I will praise the Lord with my whole heart, in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. The works of the Lord are great." Now, these are His works that they're praising Him for. "...sought out of all them who have pleasure therein. His work is honorable and glorious, and His righteousness endureth forever. He hath made His wonderful works to be remembered." The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Actually, this method today of attributing the origin of this universe to natural causes is taking away the glory from God and from the Lord Jesus Christ. It's robbing him of his glory, and it's as bad as to deny his redemption and to deny him as Saviour. You see, if you accept Him as Savior, you accept Him as Creator. Now, He's going to mention the redemption that we have, and that's part of the Hallelujah chorus. Verse 9, He sent redemption unto His people. He hath commanded His covenant forever. Holy and reverent is His name. There's that word reverent, the holy God, the reverend God, and reverent ought not to be applied to a man. No preacher should be called reverent. Only God is holy and reverent, is his name. Now, this is his redemption. He sent his redemption unto his people. God has the redemption for us, you see. Verse 10, "...the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, A good understanding have all they that do his commandments. His praise endureth forever." And you'll never go wrong when you praise the Lord. Now, Psalm 112 is another one of these wonderful hallelujah psalms. And it also is an acrostic psalm, each letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Now, we miss all that, of course, in our English translation. Now, here in Psalm 112, we have here this perfect alphabetical psalm. And when you go through it here, we miss all of that, of course. But it goes all the way from Aleph to Tau, And there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And they're all included here. But we miss that in our translation, of course. Now, here, the emphasis is praising God for His righteousness. Now, God's righteousness causes him to have to judge sin. But aren't you glad today that God is who he is? Suppose he was the devil. It was Satan that he attempted to deceive us. He wanted to destroy us. That'd be a horrible thing, would it not? It's horrible even to contemplate. But friends, God is good. And God is righteous. And he has to deal with sin because he is righteous, and he's going to make things right. I don't know about you, I want him to make things right. I'd like for the things in my own life to be straightened out, wouldn't you? This is something to praise him for. So here we go again. Hallelujah. Praise ye the Lord. Blessed is the man who feareth the Lord, who delighteth greatly in his commandments. Don't despise his commandments. They're a mirror. If you're honest with Him, why, they'll let you see who you are. I have a Sunday broadcast, and these are messages that I've given over the years. And only the messages that God has used for the salvation of souls in the past have been used. And there have been running a series on the Ten Commandments. There are those that never thought I'd run a series on them. And I have several letters of people who listen. One man said, This is the sin that I didn't realize was separating me from God. And he said, I saw what an awful sinner I was. I have a letter from a lady, and she is a lady. But her sin was swearing, taking God's name in vain. And she's turned to the Lord. At a remarkable conversion, it's all because she saw herself in God's mirror. And that's what the commandments are. Don't despise them. But if you're honest, you know you can't be saved by keeping them. You need a Savior. That's what they reveal. Verse 3 Wealth and riches shall be in His house, and His righteousness endureth forever. And that's something else God won't run out of His righteousness. He has a good supply of it. Our God is righteous. And listen to verse 4 Unto the upright there riseth light in the darkness. Why? Because He, that is, God is gracious, and He's full of compassion and righteous. Oh, you and I do not know how good God really is, how wonderful He is. Why, if you did right now, you'd sing the hallelujah chorus. Now, will you notice verse 6? Surely He shall not be moved forever. The righteous shall be in everlasting remembrance. And God's not going to lose sight of you throughout eternity. Verse 9, "...He hath distributed, he hath given to the poor." Now, this looks toward that day. God's going to take care of the poor. He has the only poverty program that's going to work. Unfortunately, the Democrats and the Republicans and the Communists and any other group today, they're not interested in adopting God's program, but they all say they're going to solve it. But the interesting thing is... These folk that say they're going to solve the poverty problem, they solve it for themselves. They do well by themselves, but they don't do well by the poor. Now, notice this. He hath distributed, he hath given to the poor. His righteousness endureth forever. His horn shall be exalted with honor. And that's the power and strength of God. Now, in Psalm 113, here we are again with another hallelujah one. And you have here the hallelujah psalms. They're coming up before us now. And these hallelujah psalms were sung at the Passover. And not only the Passover, but there are those that say they were sung at all of the feasts, at least three of the feasts, at the Feast of Passover and the Feast of Pentecost and the Feast of Tabernacles, but probably at all of them for that matter. And you have here these very wonderful so-called Hallel or Hallelujah Psalms, and they began back there at 111, and here we have another one that's coming up here, and we read in Psalm 113. Praise ye the Lord. Praise, O ye servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. It's the reason we shouldn't take it in vain. We should praise the Lord. And that is very important to see. This is a precious, it's a delightful psalm of praise and worship. And again, it's a praise that will never be exhausted because it's to... Creation's Lord and creation's Redeemer again. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forever. From the rising of the sun unto the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like unto the Lord, our God? "...who dwelleth on high? He humbleth himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth." Do you know, friends, God has to stoop down in order to look into heaven? He's so high and lifted up. But what's he going to do? He raiseth up the poor out of the dust, and lifteth the needy out of the dunghill. He's a Savior, you see. He's a Redeemer, that he may set him with princes... Even with the princess of his people, he maketh a barren woman to keep house and to be a joyful mother of children. Praise ye the Lord. Hallelujah. It's time, friends, to praise God. If there's one thing that we can accomplish in going through this book of Psalms, I'll be satisfied, and that is to get God's people across this country today to praise God. Praise him. Tell somebody today, friends, that God is good, will you? And then back it up with your own experience. The Bible says he's good. Haven't you found that to be true? Now, Psalm 114, strictly speaking, is not Hallelujah Psalms. But I think it was included in the Hallelujah Psalms that was sung when they were. And then Psalm 115 through 117, and then of course Psalm 118 was added to that. Then you will find that these Psalms were used in a special occasion. Psalm 113 through 118 were called the Egyptian Hallel Psalms, and they were used at the Feasts of Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles, and the Dedication. And they are Psalms that apparently were sung during the time the Passover was celebrated. Some think that three of them were sung at the beginning, three at the end. Others, that they were sung intermittently through the Passover feast. I don't know, but I would assume that they would be the ones that were sung during the feast itself, the Passover feast. Now, we come here in Psalm 114, It's a call to praise such a God that we have been looking at in Psalm 112 and Psalm 113. We saw there that in Psalm 113, for instance, He's the Creator. He's also the Redeemer, and He'll be the Redeemer of creation. Now, because of that, we're to praise God and the Hallel Psalms are for that purpose of praising God. Now, we find here the experience of these people, of how God delivered them. It looks back to the Egyptian time when they became a nation. When And I'm reading now Psalm 114, verse 1. When Israel went out of Egypt, the house of Jacob, from a people of strange language. Now, Actually, this man Abraham, when he came into that land, the promised land, he was a stranger. And he was told, God told him, that his people would go down in the land of Egypt and become a nation there. And actually, this is where it begins. The nation begins in Egypt, and anti-Semitism was born in Egypt. And you have their sufferings, their hardships, their persecutions. All of that ended when God remembered his covenant and heard their cry and looked upon the children of Israel and had respect unto them. So they went forth out of Egypt. That is the way the psalm begins. This now begins the wilderness march. Judah was his sanctuary and Israel his dominion. He thinks of it now. God is speaking of the whole nation, of being a tabernacle. And God's original intention was that the entire nation of Israel be a nation of priests, not just one tribe, but the whole nation, which would mean they would be priests for the world. And I think that is what you will have in the millennium. They'll serve in the earthly temple in that day. Now we find here, the sea saw it and fled. The Jordan was driven back. Now you have the crossing of the Red Sea. Then you have not only the crossing of the Red Sea, but you have also the crossing of Jordan. And in verse 5, What aileth thee, O thou sea, that thou fledest? thou Jordan, that thou wast driven back? Now, the God of creation that we saw in Psalm 113, with his omnipotent power, he rolled back the Red Sea, and he also held back the waters of Jordan. Now, this is a miracle, and I don't think that it can be explained on any other basis. But the interesting thing is, when they crossed the Red Sea, we have there his deliverance out of Egypt. That was blood on the doorposts. And when they crossed over Jordan, they were separated from the wilderness and brought into the Promised Land. You have here redemption in two stages. The Lord Jesus on the cross has delivered us from the penalty of sin. That's for the past. He will deliver us from the power of sin in the present, provided we meet his conditions. And then... He will in the future deliver us from the presence of sin. That has not been realized yet. So you have the crossing here actually of the Red Sea, the crossing of the Jordan. And it sets forth this in a very wonderful way. Now we come to the 115th Psalm. They sang this in the upper room the time of the Last Supper. Our Lord sang all these psalms. And we do not have the writer of this psalm given. I do not know who the writer is, and they think that it was written by someone that was celebrating the remnant's return from the Babylonian captivity. I like very much the idea that what we have here in this psalm, actually, we have three stanzas, and we have the congregation singing here beginning at verse 1, and then the Levites, verses 9 through 11, and then the congregation again, 12 through 18. You may disagree with that, but be that as it may, it would seem to me it could be divided like that. Now he says here, "...not unto us, O Lord, not unto us," "...but under thy name give glory for thy mercy and thy truth's sake." This is the fact that the nation Israel now is taking a very humble place, and they are now trusting God. They have not been doing that, but now you've come to the millennium, and you can see that singing this during the three feasts bound to make an impression upon them. "...and the heathen round about them, though, were saying, "'Where is your God?' Verse 2, "...wherefore should the nations say, "'Where is now their God?' I thought he was to deliver them." And here, because of their sin, they have been sent into captivity. Verse 3, "...but our God is in heaven. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased." Now, God has done this because it's according to his will his plan, and his purpose. And they're beginning now to accept that from God. And now he gives this apology against idolatry. Will you listen to it? It says, Their gods are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. Our God is in heaven. He is the Creator. He is a spirit. But their gods are gods they've made. They have mouths, but they speak not. "'Eyes have they, but they see not.'" Paul, you remember, called idols nothings. That's what they were. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses they have, but they smell not. They make their gods with all of their senses, but they don't use them. They can't use them. They have hands, but they handle not. In other words, their God cannot help them. Isaiah probably has the finest satire against idolatry you'll find in the Scripture. And he makes the distinction like this. He says, when you make a God, you go out in the woods, cut down a tree, and you shape it up, make it into the form of an idol, and you take what's left over, and you make a fire. And actually, that's all that helps you. Now, the idol, you have to lug it on your back and carry it back into town. And then God says, I, the Lord, I'm the one that's carrying you. And the thought is this, does your God today carry you, or are you carrying him? A great many people, the religion is a burden, and it's something they have to carry on their shoulder. Well, does God carry you, or you carry God? It's very important, and if you have to carry him around, then may I say to you, that's idolatry, a modern form of idolatry. And so here, they were ridiculing these people. Now, we have the Levites answering this in verse 9. O Israel, trust thou in the Lord, he is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord, he is their help and their shield. Ye that fear the Lord, trust in the Lord, he is their help and their shield. Now, somebody says to me today, what is the answer to atheism around us? What is the answer to materialism about us? What is the answer to all the immorality about us? What is the answer? Somebody says, well, I think I better go see the psychiatrist and lie on his couch. No, my friend, let me give you a simple answer, and it's so simple that I'm sure many of us have passed it by. Why don't you trust the Lord? Why don't you trust the Lord? In the midst of all of this today, trust the Lord. That's the answer. Rest in Him. Draw nigh to Him. Cast yourself upon him. Oh, this is a wonderful psalm. it gets you very close to the Lord. Now the congregation answers. Here, if this is more or less of an antiphonal psalm. Verse 12, The Lord hath been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He'll bless the house of Aaron. And he'll bless you, friends. And he'll bless your house and your church and your community. If you only today, will turn to him. And the thing that's so wonderful here is he's mindful of us. God hasn't forgotten you. Now, I don't know what your name and address is. He's got your name and address. He hasn't forgotten you. I look down today when I'm flying in a plane and I see all of these subdivisions when we come into a city and I think of the thousands of people that live down there. And who knows them? You're a number where you work. You're a number where you live. You're a number where you go to school. You're a number to your government. You're a number. But my God knows you. And he knows your name. And he knows all about you. Trust in the Lord. Now, listen to this. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both small and great. Now, that's a categorical, dogmatic statement. You either believe it or you don't believe it. And if you believe it, my, what a difference it'll make. Now, will you notice? He goes on, "...the Lord shall increase you more and more, you and your children. You're blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth." Back now he's the Creator. "...the heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth hath he given to the children of man." Apparently, God didn't intend men to live on the moon. They're more or less using his property up there. But he's given the earth to us today. The dead praise not the Lord, neither any that go down into silence. Now, while you're here on this earth, here's where you praise the Lord. Here's where it'll count. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. What is it? Praise ye the Lord. Hallelujah. You don't mind saying that, do you? Even if you're a dignified Presbyterian or Episcopalian, you ought not to mind to praise the Lord. And friends, it won't hurt us today to do that. You know, some of us are all tied up. we got hang-ups. And one of the best things to do is just to let down and open your heart to the Lord and praise His name talk to him. It would help a great many of us.